You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 45, Above Average Nate Sellers. Nick is joined once again by friend and YouTube creator, Nate Sellers. Nate's channel, Average Jack Archery, hails from Pennsylvania, and whose content is for beginners and advanced archers alike, along with whitetail bow hunting. The guys catch up and talk about Nate's tag-out season this past year, how the mental game of indoor archery can fry your circuits, and can average guys get into saddle-style hunting? Another fun, insightful episode on the way. Well, hey, folks. Good evening. We've got another uh, guest for us. Well, he's not just another guest. I say he's an average guest. But the way his year is going, it's definitely been above average. The man has a doe and an impressive buck down on the ground before October 10th. He not only gets his first 300 on a Vegas face, but also has it on film for the world to see. And he also has the guts to tell Jesse Broadwater, hey, could you go grab me another Matthews bow? We are sitting down with above average Jack. We're sitting down with Nate Sellers. Nate, thanks for joining us this evening. 
Hey, man, that that was some high honors. Wow, that was fantastic. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, Nate, this is your second time with us uh, on the Hunt of War. You were, um, I think, probably one of my first guests that we had on, and I believe that time we were talking specifically some indoor setups, and we were talking arrow makeups. Um, that was quite a while ago. Um, so it's been a while since we've just sat down and chatted. Um, so yeah, just a couple of the highlights that I had from year year, you've just been on cloud nine. Tell me, tell me about your season this year. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it has been a while. I actually, believe it or not, when we were talking about getting this podcast, first of all, I, I went back and I had to scroll through so many uh, podcast, uh, you know, from the Huntivore, which is awesome to see, you know, how far that, you know, you guys have come uh, since, I mean, I think it was like one of the first five episodes, six episodes. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I've, I have been on cloud nine this year. It's just been awesome. Everything from uh, hunting season has gone super well. Uh, uh, putting a little more time into target archery has gone super well. ATA was phenomenal. Getting to see and meet a lot of different people, try out a lot of different new gear uh, and, and all the filming stuff. And, and then, uh, shooting the 300 on film was just mind blowing. Awesome. I've never shot a 300 before. Uh, and then of course to literally do it on my first try, it was my first try on film. I just decided to take the camera down to the range and, uh, just so happened to make it happen. So yeah, it's, it's just been a great year so far. I got a, a very full freezer. Well, it's less full now. Been eating through the venison as we're going through throughout the winter. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just been fantastic. I'm super happy. I hope it can continue the success here in 2020. Well, good deal. You seem to be off to a great start. Um, what size, well, how many points was that buck? Was that a, was that a 12 point or 10 point? I couldn't quite tell from the it picture. Was, it, it was a Pennsylvania nine point. So, uh, you, uh, it was a mainframe eight and then, uh, you know, the legal rules, I think it has to be an inch long, the, the, t- the point. But the old the old adage, and I'm probably sure it's the same in Michigan. If you can hang a wedding ring off the point, it's a point. And the uh, the ninth point, you can hang a hang a wedding ring off of. So I'm I'm gonna call him a nine pointer. He was a real nice buck. Opening day, got the whole thing on film. My good buddy Nate Fry from the Budget Sportsman came out with me, and uh, he offered to film. And it was you know, first sit in the saddle, and and first this that and the other thing. It was just it was just an awesome time. That hunt was could not have gone better. That is the best part is when you've done all the planning and here it is where your first sit that you're out there and just every, all the ducks in a row. Like this is how oh, you yeah. envisioned it. You know, you, the sports psychology side of it is, you know, you were always talking to yourself, like play it out in your mind. Like it did. Mm-hmm. It played out right in front of you um, to get that yeah. buck. And then a couple of days later to be able to, to take down the dough. Um, mm-hmm. did, you guys, did you get those both processed or did you do any processing yourself? I had them both processed. Uh, there's, um, we are now under here in Pennsylvania and across most of the country. You of course have your issues up there in Michigan, but we are now, my home is now under the CWD zone, the DMA. And so there's special regulations, um, where I should say where I hunt and where my home is are in two different places. So, where I hunt is under CWD regulation. So for me to remove the animal and take it back to my house, I actually have to debone the whole thing in the woods. Uh, and that is just not feasible uh, for myself 
um, just the, the time and the, literally packing it out like it's an elk out west. So I actually take it to a processor that is in the CWD zone uh, just so I don't have to deal with all that and leaving the uh, carcass in the woods. And they take care of it for me. And as much as I would, I would much rather do it at home by myself. You know, I'm adding the parts and pieces now. I'm saving up money to get a, gr- a better grinder and that sort of thing. But as of now with the CWD regulations, which just changed this year, um, I, I've been taking it to a processor within the disease zone. Gotcha. Yeah, that is definitely the sticker that's uh, in our neck of the woods. We're My county is just on the cusp of all that. The two neighboring counties um, both have it. Luckily, they're a little. It's a little further than right on the borderline, but at the same time, it's just it's scary close. So yeah, we. I hope that that continues to be separated. But yeah, I'm feeling the same thing. Where at some point you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Because I know you had a you had a guy that you were going to for several years. Is it the same guy that you've been able to go back to, or is it no, now a completely uh, new person? It's it's a completely new person, and the reason I have not gone back to him is because he is not, at least at the time, he is now, um, it, through special regulation, uh, he's allowed to be now. But he was outside of the zone, just like my house. So I was not allowed to take my deer to him that I shot in the zone, because I, I would say 98% of my hunting places are in the disease zone now. And so I could not take that animal out and take it to his processor uh, processing location and have him process it because he was not in the zone. And that was a new law that they passed, the regulation they passed. So unfortunately it wasn't him. Although the person I was taking to is a, is a very dear friend of mine. And uh, they, uh, it's a, it's a couple uh, who've been doing this for 20 some odd years. They do a fantastic job as well. So I didn't lose much of a quality there, but, uh, but it was kind of a bummer to, to kind of not put my business where I usually take it. Yeah, that's that's been with this CWD is it's really just kind of just messed everything up. And if if you yes. don't have it, be blessed that it's not near you. And if you've got it, well, right. it's our new normal. <laughs> we just got to deal with it. Right. It is. Yeah. You know, I I like putting out trail cameras and corn to get pictures of deer during the summer with the bucks and velvet. Can't do that anymore. Uh, of course, the whole transportation of deer. So there, there's a lot of a lot of ins and outs now that people have to be cautious of, more mindful of when they're getting ready for the season. So now let's take a we'll go in chronological then. Um, as you know, we talked about the season and now uh, the three hundred that you got on film. We're going to yeah. take a, a hard dive here into um, some indoor shooting and. Specifically, I mean, we could go through arrow makeup and we could go through bow setup and you could blow our minds and confuse us even more on on where (laughs) we're at. Uh, You do a great job at breaking that down. But at some point, the mental game is what seems to be, at least for me personally, the sticker. If I'm asked to make one shot and it's for all the marbles, I seem to be pretty proficient at that 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 is something i can do i can take a task and perform it once and make it really good but now i've asked been asked to do that in this indoor shooting where we shoot five spots i've been asked to do that now 60 times basically back to back to back 
And that is a very hard challenge. You were able to put that together. Now you're shooting three targets. They call that a three-face. And you only had to do 30 arrows, but at the same time, the stakes were higher because of the size of where your 10 ring was. Talk to me about your mental edge or that mental state of mind that you have to put yourself in when you're on the line on an indoor shoot. So full disclaimer, I'm probably one of the worst people when it comes to picking a mental state because I've tried everything under the sun to try and stay loose or maybe I need to be more uptight, need to be more focused, need to be more excited or I don't know what it is. And I, I basically have now come to a point where I will listen to stand-up comedy right before I go to the line or I'll just stand around it and crack jokes with people. And the entire time I'm shooting, I'm just kind of keeping it light because I find that when I am trying to focus on doing the same thing 60 times in a row and I'm, you know, and the sweat's beating on your face and you're just in your, in your red face, and you're trying to breathe right and trying to be a robot. You're not a robot. You, you are a human and you're going to do things differently from shot to shot. So if you practice more and make it more of a subconscious thing instead of a deliberate, okay, I have to do this with this hand and do this with this foot, this with my hips, and you actually just spend more time on the range executing good shots and just and, and being comfortable with your shooting, then you can keep it light on the range. You can enjoy yourself a little bit more, crack jokes with people, and your subconscious will take over the shot. I find I enjoy, I, I enjoy archery way more now uh, the past two years, just kind of keeping it light, talking with people, talking with uh, people watching the shoot, talk to my wife if she's there. Uh, and just kind of relax and enjoy it instead of trying to focus, like, I got to hit the X, I got to hit the X, because I find when I do that, that's when I start hitting the nine, start hitting the nine, <laughs> or worse. And uh, so I, th I think for me, that's, that's the best way I approach the mental game. And the same thing is true with 3D, because when you get out in 3D, and I know this is a step away from the indoor scene, but 3D is the same thing. You're out in the woods, you're with your buddies, you're shooting around, you're having a good time, the birds are chirping, the crickets are going, the, the sun is shining, the breeze is blowing, and you just want to enjoy archery. And so I try to take that 3D mentality inside, and it's really helped me a lot, uh, particularly this year. And I feel like because I was able to just sit there and talk to the camera, uh, and I was able to kind of just relax and enjoy myself while I was shooting, I feel really actually why that's why I was able to kind of stay, quote, more focused and be able to shoot that 300 on film. Yeah, not to say like you had to split what you were doing, but maybe the slight distraction or the lightness of having to, well, I got to move the camera here and make sure I get this good shot and then explain what I'm doing here. That right. gave right. you that, you know, where you're able to just, yeah, the subconscious was taking over and you're just performing the accurate thing that you've been doing each time. That's a great way to think about it maybe my approach has been completely wrong because I was more on the yeah I'm really focusing on it as in high school I I played football and I wrestled and where a lot of people would try to hype themselves up be loud obnoxious it's I I more or less went the opposite where I I, I would more go more on the inside and more quiet where I'm I'm playing through what I need to be able to do as I walk on the mat I've already listed out like in my 
mental checklist, like the first four moves that I'm going to even try and see how this is going to go out um, or how this match is going to work itself out. And maybe that's the route that I've gone right now or I've gone more inside. And instead of being light and airy, I kind of get quiet and get a little intense. And maybe that's the struggling point that I'm having. Now, I've, I've picked up the indoor shooting to basically keep me using the bow. I never want to put it in the case and let dust get on it. I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm a better shooter than that. I enjoy archery more than to ever let my bow now just sit. And I want to stay proficient year-round. And so this is where the indoor league came in. We had a couple buddies that we do a, a Thursday night league at our local shop and we do a five spot and we, we do we have a great time and I do put a little extra stress on me because I know how good of an archer I can be and I think maybe that the intensity part or the pressure part is what I need to go back on maybe just a little bit right yeah and and, and there's I want to say there's there's nothing wrong with with being intense and just like if you watch Jesse Broadwater you know, that guy's one of the best shooters in the world, and he is stoic. I mean, he is beyond stoic. Uh, you know, even Levi Morgan, to an extent, is the same thing. When he's shooting, he is so laser-focused. Uh, Dan McCarthy's the same way, too. There's, just, there's not a whole lot of emotion. And I'm not saying that these, you know, they don't get emotional or they're not excited or they're not talking to themselves in their own head. But for some people, when they're, they seem like they're too focused, I found that was the same way with sports. You know, when I was playing sports growing up, that if I didn't kind of keep it light and kind of enjoy myself and be a team player and that sort of stuff, I would kind of, uh, you know, overthink things. And I think I overthink things less uh, when I keep it light, when I just kind of enjoy the shooting and, and just enjoy the sport of archery for what it is instead of stressing out over missing a point here and this, that, and the other thing. And I just find in the long run, I just end up scoring better. And, and averaging better. And I have actually this year, I, my average is well into the high 290s, 298, 299. Um, and my X counts higher than it's ever been. And sure, that could be, you know, I, I got a new target bow this year. Sure, maybe because I'm practicing more than I did last year. But I, I think those are kind of neither here nor there. I really think it's been, been a mindset change for me. And I've just been able to enjoy it so much more and just be so much more comfortable with each and every time that I shoot my bow. Yeah, you just mentioned those those names that are up on there. That yeah, they've got. I mean, being a professional, I'm sure they're the pre. I mean, they can be stoic mainly because they've been there before. They're this isn't intimidating. Um, and you mentioned earlier just even going through like a 3D setup where it is, it's uh, you're outside. This is a familiar environment, and you're out there with friends. You're lined up. Um, we coined the phrase "backyard champion," that in your backyard you're always the champion and it's now when you go into someplace new say inside yeah it's our pro shop but at the same time when you're standing what we refer to as nut to butt <laughs> with five yeah. or six guys <laughs> you know it right. becomes a little bit intimidating now because a i'm worried about if if his like arrows are going to fall inside of where my string track is and right. am i you know it they're, they they go to a different pace than I do. Do I find myself right. mimicking them? And it's it just it all of a sudden just becomes this brand new environment. Um, 
And so I think that was probably my added intensity too, is it's like I just close in a little bit further just because I'm trying to tune that out. And I don't want to say I'm doing terrible, but I think I'm finding myself right under that. I'm, I'm at the two eighties. I average right around two eighty, mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm having a bad night, you know, I'll be right around that two seventy five, and it'll most likely be the third or fourth game or excuse me, third or fourth end where my brain is probably to the point where we're just at half where if I'm, I'm looking forward to the break, but my brain then takes the break too early and I have one arrow, I, I either flinch my arm or I just, I drop my, drop my bow too quick, or I try to watch where the arrow's going and that sucker, I mean, it'll be a 32nd of an inch off the four. Like it'll find its way right. off that target. And it's, oh, I, you know, you can't, it's not even touching, but it's just so close and that is probably the part that's most infuriating. I they had a there was a target that was next to where we were at, and I actually <laughs> I let a punch fly into the target because I was just like, oh my gosh, I did it again. But it's like <laughs> I finally had a game where I didn't have a miss, and it was like, good, I'm over this miss business. And then sure enough, the next game I did it again. But right, I want to say right. you're probably shooting a lot more arrows than I am. I'm only shooting once a week, so it is the sixty arrows a week that I'm I've got a chance to do that. Um we've gotten really busy with the boys right now and uh we got gymnastics and we got basketball going on. So it's yeah. it's one of those things like I I am striving or I am th- really starving. That's what I'm going to say, starving for some range time to just really get some reps in and have them be more of a calming. Um but how many reps are you going through a week? with with your high level of shooting here how many reps are you doing i'm getting on average 250 to 300 errors a week on the lower end of things um and and that's partly because a i i probably i probably should do more and i want to do more um but part of that is um just the time constraints you know i also have my my two kids so i'm shooting at the house in the basement you know 12 yards <laughs> Uh, that sort of stuff. Um, and my local range is very close to me, the shop that I work at, uh, but I can only get to them, you know, after work, uh, you know, one, one or two days a week at the most. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting about 250, 300 arrows in a week. I would like to do closer to four to five during this off season because indoor is really, really where I kind of make it or break it. Um, if I really am working hard in my indoor season, my 3D game just gets so much better over the summer. I feel so much more confident in my shooting process. Um, uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, right now it's about two, two fifty three hundred, and I'm hoping to kind of keep it going in there and, until we start getting outdoor here, outdoors here later on in the month. Gotcha. You had a, a tournament that you basically dominated last year. Um, has that tournament <laughs> happened yet? Are you still training for, for that tournament? It is it is this weekend and uh, and dominated is not quite the word <laughs> that I would use to describe it. I I was very blessed uh, with that tournament last year. Uh, it's again this weekend, um, two days Friday and Saturday. Last year um, I qualified um, fifth out of I think like thirty archers in my division bow hunter class, um, and so that they take top ten. Uh, to do an elimination bracket. So I show it's, you know, one versus 10, two versus nine. 
And uh, so I shot against the sixth guy. I won, but um, out of the five remaining archers, I had the lowest score. Um, so that meant we did a shoot-up style like they do at Lancaster. So uh, instead of doing one versus five, two versus four, all that sort of stuff, uh, they go five versus four, and then the winner of that shoots against the third-place qualifier, and then the winner of that shoots against the second-place qualifier, and so on and so forth. So I was fifth. And um, so I had a lot of guys to get through to even make it to the podium, uh, let alone win. And I ended up, uh, by the grace of God, just running the table and went from fifth to first and, and, and won the tournament. So I'm hoping I don't have to do that again this year. I really would like just to qualify <laughs> qualify much higher and not have to be so high. Um, but and here's there's the a thing, lot though, of good, is that Cinderella really story of you coming from fifth all the way up, that's probably what got you through because you knew – this is going to be a marathon, folks. So I'm just going to get in that mindset yeah. where I'm yeah. here all day. I got to shoot forever. Right. Whereas I think I if had... you were higher, maybe you wouldn't <laughs> have had the success that you were looking for. Right. And they talk about that a lot at Lancaster, too, because all the divisions in Lancaster have that shoot up format. And they talk about that. You know, do you want to, you know, start at the bottom, work all the way up to the top? You know, look at two years ago, Tim Hanley in the men's open division went from eighth to first he shot his way all the way from eighth place to first and won the whole tournament and i kind of liked it but i i'll never forget sitting you know i shot my elimination bracket at eight o'clock in the morning and i didn't and i you know and so i was fifth and i knew that and i didn't have my uh final shoot up until noon so i had four hours so my wife and i went to go get breakfast and i will never forget sitting there at the table in the restaurant and just looking at my wife and going all i want to do is make it to third that's all I want to do. I just want to place on the podium, you know, make my money back, you know, get my picture, whatever, and, and, and say that I didn't suck. Because I think my biggest thing is that I am this dude on YouTube who is trying to teach people how to be an archer. I'm not an archery coach by any stretch, but, but I'm trying to teach people how to be better at archery. And if I can't win a tournament, how bad does that look? So, or if I can't place in a tournament, how bad is that? Look, right? Should you really be listening to me? And so I'm vividly, I'll never forget, vividly sitting there in that in that table in that restaurant, and thinking to myself, I better place, or if I you know, if I don't have a picture to go on Instagram of me doing something, or me going on, you know, and this that and the other thing. So I think that pressure is still there this year, um, but I think that I, I know that that's just an erroneous thought, like I did last year. You know, I, I I'm going to compete. The top guys in the world sometimes don't even make the top 10, let alone the top three. And um, so I, I'm very excited to shoot again this year. Um, it's the last last shoot for me for indoors. So once it's over, we're on to 3D season. So I'm looking forward to it. There you go. Now, maybe I'm already letting the cat out of the bag, um, but I think it's something that um, you're still striving for is you were looking forward to at least jumping in into the Lancaster Classic. Uh, this year that was mm-hmm. something that was at least on the list um tell me about what what would go what, what would go into that and uh what kind of training that you would need to uh compete there so being in pennsylvania already i'm only a few hours drive from lancaster and that's one of the biggest indoor shoots it's second to vegas at this point it's huge and, um, you know, being in my home state, it's just kind of a no brainer that I should eventually start attending. And, uh, you know, the biggest setbacks are, of course, for me being a teacher, single income family, um, 
with a family of four is is the uh, you know registration fee, hotels, this, that, and the other thing. And if you don't go down and win any money, and there's not a whole lot of money to be won in the bow hunter class compared to the open and the open pro, you know, I kind of feel bad saying here I'm going to take the family funds so I can go punch holes in paper for a weekend. And so part of me was, do I feel ready to spend that money on that, that I could go and compete and, and actually be competitive to, to win some money and to find myself in the shoot off. And I just, I just did not feel I was at a point where I was ready for that. Um, come December when the, when they were kind of wrapping up the um, registration deadline I just did not feel like I was ready to do it, um, and I just wasn't ready to put that kind of family funds on the line. And also, we were also considering going to the ATA show in January in Indianapolis, and so we, we were kind of making the decision of, um, you know, you're, I'm not getting in the practice time I want. I wasn't shooting the scores at that point. I was. It takes you a while to warm up to indoor shooting compared to hunting season. Um, and so I was only shooting in the mid-290s, you know, with like teams of X count. And I would have made the cut probably if I'd shot that at Lancaster, but I don't know if I would have made it to, to the second round of elimination. So that, that was kind of end up being the, the ultimate deciding factor, but it's definitely going to happen next year. Um, I just really feel confident in what I'm doing now and, and my, my shot process and, and what I'm doing and the tuning of the bow and how I'm shooting it. So it's, on the, it's definitely going to happen next year, although it didn't, didn't come to fruition this time around. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? or have some show topic ideas, email us at huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. So we did finish up with uh, Lancaster and how that is going to be the bucket list for 20, 2021. Um, now, that's that's also televised on YouTube because I know doesn't Lancaster yes. do a huge event? Are we going to see huge Nate event. Sellers standing at the line uh, in, Dude, in that, that event? That would be awesome. That would be – oh, yeah, you'll see like when they do the daily live streams. I don't know if I'll make it all the way to the shoot down. But yeah, it, you'll probably see my giant six foot four frame holding a forty inch axle to axle bow somewhere on the line. So there will but, be you'll um, have to be wear a green shirt so you can be the jolly green giant amongst the four hundred <laughs> some oh, odd yeah. people in line. I'll like I'll like paint my forearms and grow my hair out, get a little olive wreath. They yes. probably won't let me wear the toga thing. <laughs> That's probably a little too risque. <laughs> But, uh, That's where the nut to butt thing really gets uh, unique <laughs> when you've got a toga on. <laughs> Everybody paying attention to where you at. <laughs> oh. oh, I gotta share a target butt with toga guy. Yeah, no one wants to say that. 
So you did mention that, yeah, you were going through this idea with 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 Lancaster that you know that's going to be something that would put on the back burner. Um, but whether you were going to do ATA this year, you ended up going down, or excuse me, coming over to Indy yeah. and uh, going to the ATA show. Um, instead of asking how was the ATA show, like I asked my five year old, how was school? Uh, and I'm probably going to get the same answer of nothing. I, I, I'll break it down the way that I talk to him. I'm going to ask you, well, for him, I always ask, what was the funniest part of the day? Uh, what was the saddest part of the day? Cause you also want to know like what's going on. Not so good in their lives. Um, what was the strange or what was the weirdest part of the day? And then last but not least, what was the biggest takeaway? What was the big idea for your day today? So at ATA 2020 in Indy, what was the funnest part of your trip over there? I will have to say it was 100% meeting Troy Fowler face to face, AKA the ranch Ferry. That was, he lives up to the hype. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, the, the whole the whole weirdness and what Jim Doodle on camera on YouTube is not an act. That is who he is as a person, and it is the greatest part of it was it was single handedly the most hilarious part of going to ATA this year. So I will say that to answer that question, it was meeting Troy Fowler, aka the Ray. Yeah, I did a. I talked with him for probably an hour and a half um, on building arrows, and oh my goodness, like I'm trying to jot notes, and at the same time he's going off on a story that was just oh I couldn't. You know, it's that big Texas persona that he has going on. Oh yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah. Was he part of? Because uh, you were at the Magnus booth, right? Was he part of the Magnus yeah. booth, or is he just there yeah, he was... doing himself? No, he came down with Magnus, uh, but he did a lot of things. You know, he was doing a podcast with the Hunting Public and, and talking with other people and other people he knows in the industry, Aaron Lasko from EZV and all that other stuff. And um, so, but yeah, but he spent a good time with us down there at the at the Magnus booth, and it was just cool to video with him and talk with him for a while and, and just kind of pick his brain, uh, not only about archery stuff, but just how he kind of sees the hunting industry and, and his journey through archery. It's always cool as someone who's an archer first and a hunter second. It was just kind of cool to see his journey through archery and archery hunting. So, yeah, really cool to meet him. Super, super nice dude. Super nice dude. And the big Texas persona couldn't be more accurate. So now what was the weirdest part of ATA 2020? I think, oh, boy. weird. What do you think? Weird as in strange or weird as in something I didn't expect? That's that's for you to decide. Are, they, are those one of? I know. Uh, gosh, I don't know. I I think probably the 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 weirdest part for me was this was the second time I've been to ATA, and I, so I think the weirdest part for me was like I'm one of them now, and that was kind of a feel like the the first year I went when it was in Louisville back in 2019. I, I didn't have this feeling that I belong here. Like I'm just kind of this dude with this kind of mediocre-ish YouTube channel. And I was good friends with Derek Craig from New Day Outdoors and Magnus and, and Mike Stone from Magnus. And I knew of other people in the industry, but they didn't know who I was. And so this year I go down and the number of people that just walk up to me like, oh, hey, you're Nate from Average Jack Archery. And, and I'm talking to 
my YouTube idols like Troy and the hunting public and Garrett Prawl. Garrett comes up to me. He's like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, like totally. <laughs> and I'm talking to all – you know, I go in and talking to Jesse Broadwater, and like I didn't feel like a complete stranger. Uh, talking to Darren Christianberry from Elite Archery, I didn't feel like a complete stranger. So it was just – that I think was the weirdest part for me is the strangest part that like I was part of the show. Like I was part of the, the people that are quote-unquote supposed to be there. I didn't feel like an outsider that was just kind of butting his way in. Yeah. It's a it's funny to see that, you know, you you put these people on such a huge pedestal. I don't, I don't want to say pedestal, but it's like they're your, they're the celebrity, quote unquote celebrity or that's someone that you've you've looked up to and then you now in turn see this industry that you've walked into and maybe this isn't as big as what you thought. Now that I'm not saying that these people aren't as impressive with their skills and whatnot, but like you look at just the hunting and fishing industry right now that man this really is a pretty small world we think it's like massive and huge but then at the same time like only less than 10 percent of the actual population here in the united states hunt and fish so there's like just a tenth of the people that are are out of our own country are the ones that are involved with it so but hey that's really neat that yeah you don't you don't feel like an outsider anymore that you're like, Oh my goodness, I am, I am part of this. That's super cool. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was just a strange feeling just kind of walking around and, you know, my wife was very gracious. Um, it was awesome that she got to come in with me. Mike Soam, the CEO of Magus was so gracious to let her, you know, get her into the show and have her run the camera for me. And I'm just being able to be on camera and talk to those people. And, and, uh, the, when I went the year before, I just kind of felt like I had to break the fourth wall with every single person I talked to. And I just felt like I just walked right in there like, Hey, why don't you come and film this and do this? And, and it was just, it was such a rewarding experience. I, that, that was, that went 400,000 times better than I could ever imagine. I was so happy. I went and um, not that going to Lancaster would have been a bad trade off, but going to ATA this year was just, was just icing on the cake. That's great. I'm going to finish. Off. I'm going to skip the sad, disappointing question because it sounds like you just had a <laughs> had a great time there. We don't want to put a dark cloud on that. Um, I know. But I, know. I do want the biggest takeaway from ATA this year. What was the big idea or what's the big thing now coming out of the show that is going to ring throughout the rest of the year? It's going to be mobile hunting public land hunting is cool again. Like that is, that is what I'm seeing from it going in deep, you know, and you see it in every single aspect of what companies are doing, the small ones to the big ones. You know, if you look at like what spy points doing, they're doing making the ability for you to take your old beat up camera and hide it as far deep in the woods as possible and have it be cellular. Right, you can put that sucker five, six, seven miles deep if you want, and not have to check it for an entire season. All these tree stand companies coming out with tree stands that are six, seven, eight, nine pounds. Uh, you know, of course, all the saddle hunting industry, the um, just, just everything is just going towards. It's cool to hunt public land again, and it's cool to be mobile again. It's cool to be. I don't. I'm not saying you have to be Cam Haynes, but it's cool to be in shape again. It's cool to be, and it's just. It, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me is that there's a lot of youth 
in the industry now. Uh, you know, we always think of, you know, they always talk about how uh, the, the age of hunters in the United States is getting, you know, the median age is getting older and older. I see quite the contrary. I see that they're getting younger and younger. They're getting hungrier to be out in the outdoors more. The technology that is being utilized by the youth, or I should say the younger generation, you know, I'm, I'm lumping guys in their, you know, in their 30s and early 40s as well into that. But just there is there's just more of a hunger and a desire from a lot of people, I think, that want to put in a little bit of extra time, effort, energy and money to just have more fun and have more of a better experience, in particular on the public land that might be accessible to them that they never thought of hunting that could be 10, 15 minutes in their house. That's cool. That's cool. Because you're a you're a BHA member. I think I saw you toting around one of the public land shirts. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, part of the local chapter. A good buddy, great buddy of mine, uh, who actually had his son in school a few years ago. Uh, he got me uh, to, to come out to an event as a guest, and I immediately was like, this is this is what I need uh, in my life. And so I uh, became a part of that, and uh, um, so I'm, I'm really proud of that. I did not they had a they had an event there at ATA. I didn't go to it though. I decided to have a date with my wife instead. Uh, but we'll have a banquet here coming up here, close to turkey season here in Pennsylvania. Well, hey, anytime you get time with the wife is always a good choice. So good. I know. For that. Amen to that. Amen to that. So you mentioned that you had uh, one of the your um, one of the board members' uh, kids in your in in your class. You're a you're an English teacher, and it's right around that. Uh, older elementary and um middle school age that's that five six is where uh where your sweet spot is what's it like being uh an english teacher being an english teacher i don't know what's it like being a gym teacher um it's uh i tell you it's, it's the best very, job in the world i can tell you that <laughs> you you are the smartest man in the building because you chose to teach gym for a living um it's 100 percent true uh, but being an English teacher, it's unique because I, uh, I'll just say this, I grew up in a, in a very, I don't want to say well-to-do, uh, but I grew up in a, in, a, um, in a school district that borders Penn State University. So we have a lot of professors' kids. We have a lot of different diversity, a lot of different this, and, and a lot of money to put into the schools and the school system. And so I grew up in that area and that mindset. And now... I teach in very rural uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, the demographics are, are very stagnant, and, uh, and not, not a whole lot changes uh, from year to year. And so, and also I teach in, a, in an area where ain't is 100% a real word. So it's really hard to, uh, to convince people that, uh, you know, they need to change the vernacular uh, for writing an English essay when they've been talking that way their entire lives for their entire lives for generations. So it's a unique dynamic now compared to what I grew up in, but I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to teaching math, for example. Um, but I, I, yeah, I absolutely enjoy it. I'm glad I get to do it. As you're working with these students and then even in, um, with your coworkers, uh, is, is being a sportsman, either an angler or even in your case, a bow hunter is, is hunting in this rural Pennsylvania thing commonplace? I, I mean, is that like something that's 
everybody's still a part of and like opening day is when pretty much they might as well just close down the school or has has there been a, a shift away from that hunting culture um even in in rural pennsylvania here in in our county um we're in clearfield county here in pennsylvania and it's probably one of the strongest hunting cultured counties in the entire state i would i would wager it's probably top two top three and our hunt uh, our, our wildlife management unit that encompasses us i mean it's just it shows with the with the deer harvest that are in this area it's not because we have an insanely high deer density it's because we have a boatload of hunters both bow hunters and firearms hunters uh in our school district we take the two days off of gun season the opening week of gun season uh we started now opening up on a saturday uh and now we're starting to introduce sunday hunting which is a totally different topic for another time but now we go saturday sunday and we're going to get and we take off that monday tuesday so we get two days off from school that's how much of a part of uh hunting or how much of a part of our culture hunting and particularly that firearm season after thanksgiving really is and so you know there have been times when i've gone out turkey hunting and i've gone out turkey hunting with a colleague uh, a work colleague and uh you know we'll be running late it'll be a, a week a weekday a tuesday wednesday and we'll be running late and we'll pull into the parking lot in our vehicles and jump out with camo on and carry our work clothes into the into the school <laughs> and uh, so it's 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 definitely a part of the culture I'm very happy. I mean, we talk with kids all the time. We have a big billboard in our wing of the building called the Bragging Board, and kids can bring in pictures of the fish they've caught, the deer they've shot, the turkeys they've gone after, and it's just really cool. And I'm, it, it tickles me pink that I get to be a part of that and that the kids get to enjoy it along with me, and they, they love uh, this sport just as much as I do. Oh, that's super cool. We're getting in my school. We're we're getting a lot of influx um, from a lot a, a bigger city. Um, a lot more kids moving out um, away from the the city schools and trying to go to the more of the suburban schools. And so there is like a a portion of my school that doesn't really have that grasp on you know what this hunting and fishing thing is all about, or even knowing. Uh, what either field to fork is or even knowing where their meat comes from. You know, it comes from the supermarket, it comes from the grocery store. Well, yeah, but that used to be an animal. And that mind, mind process has, hasn't gone through with some of these kids. Um, I, I had gone shed hunting with one of my, my boys in the backpack, and we found a shed antler. And it was a nice size one. I mean, for Michigan, it had four points on it, and I was really really proud to find that so I brought that in and hung that on my office door as just like a, a quick show and tell and to have the, to explain this to kids like no those they fall off every year and then they have to grow new ones and they were like are you kidding me like they have to grow new ones and then they were touching it and feeling it and they were it was something that they had never experienced before and so I didn't know if somewhere along the line that as you're teaching kids that there's going to be an opportunity as you come walking in in camo, like, why why is my English teacher out there hunting? Like, doesn't he just get food where everybody else comes from? But it sounds like that over there in Pennsylvania, it seems like everybody's on in the same uh, watering hole over there. Yeah, in my county, in my school district, they know. It's, it's a way of life. 
you know, I, and you're, I know with your, with your family background, you know, your protein, you knew where it came from with the poultry farm. And now of course your venison, but we, we don't buy beef here in my house. You know, we'll buy chicken from time to time, that sort of stuff, but we live on venison uh, year round. And that is not an abnormality in, in my area. I mean, there are people that will go, you know, if it's a father son combination, they'll both get two tags, they'll shoot four deer. And their family of four or five, six people will live on those three or four deer for the entire year. That's their meat. That's their only source of protein. So it's a very commonplace thing. It's a very widely accepted thing, which is really cool. You know, I don't have to kind of explain myself, which I did, you know, when I was growing up in my more uh, uh, city-esque school district. And, of course, when I was in college um, at Penn State. There were times where I had to explain to people, oh, yeah, I was turkey hunting this morning. Well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just, you know, go to the grocery store and buy a turkey? I'm like, well, you know, there's this and this. If you've ever seen a sunrise before at 5 o'clock in the morning and hear a turkey gobble, it sounds pretty cool. And so there's a lot of things that I'm thankful I don't have to explain to my students because they literally could potentially that weekend done the exact same thing that I did. And that's just a really cool connection I get to make. That That is really neat. Now I'm going to almost take it and I'm going to flip it around. How has, you know, how, I mean, how is a, how is being a teacher and a hunter great, but now how has teaching affected the way that you approach hunting? Are you organizing it a little bit different or especially with your videos and being the the English uh, teacher, are you scripting out anything that you're trying to explain or uh, how is that? How is the teaching background affecting your outdoorsmanship? Well, definitely with the YouTube scene, you know, I, I used to kind of fly and it shows in a lot of my older stuff, um, you know, way back, you know, five years ago now, uh, I, I shot a lot from the hip, if you will. And more within the past two to three years, I've kind of realized, you know, just like when you yell at your kids in the classroom, you need to plan out what you want to say before you say it in your essay. I kind of need to plan out what I want to say in my videos before I say them in my videos. So I do, I keep a little sketch, uh, sketchbook of, you know, a storyboard, if you will, or, or notes that I should hit through in chronological order, this, that, and the other thing. And so for the YouTube scene, it 100% does help. Um, and I think just being a teacher in general has kind of helped me. And as the more I've taught, I've kind of gotten a better idea for pacing of things. Um, but when it comes to being a, an outdoorsman for my own personal I one thing I've really noticed the past few years um, is I used to just take these huge bites, if you will, out of the scouting or these huge bites out of tuning this bow this day. And I realized that teaching is 180 days to achieve one goal and that's get them ready for the next grade level. It doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen in a week, doesn't happen in a month. It takes nine, ten months to get that kid ready from, in my case, fifth grade, the end of fourth grade to the beginning of sixth grade. And that's the way I've started to approach it with my hunting and particularly in the scouting and the woodsmanship. You know, one day I go out and instead of trying to take a five mile loop, I just make a quarter mile loop, half mile loop. And I just really analyze and focus. And then I'll come back a couple weeks later and I'll do a mile and this, that, and the other thing. And so I, I've really learned to, to kind of slow down, be much more methodical uh, and really much more analytical, uh, taking, quote unquote, my formative data that I've 
gathered from my scouts and really then apply them all together in one lump sum. And I find I just get such uh, better scouting intel, like the buck I shot opening day. That was, that was actually culminating years of scouting that spot and knowing when that spot is going to be hot and when that spot is not going to be hot. And so, you know, it, it couldn't just potentially be a month of scouting. It could be years of scouting. So I think that has really helped in my success rate. It's really helped me enjoy the woods more, have a lot more critter encounters. And um, I think really being a teacher, it's fun for the YouTube, but I really think it's helped me personally as an outdoorsman in the woods. That's good to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's funny that even though that, you know, that's our profession, but at the same time, like it's almost kind of become the way we, we approach things that, yeah, there's a methodical, there's an, uh, an analytical way that we're going to try to approach this. Cause yeah, sometimes emotions gets in the way. Like you said, oh, I feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to cover five miles, but at the same time, well, what did you see at mile two? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what I saw at mile two. I can only tell you what I saw at the beginning and at the end. And there's that whole middle section that was just overlooked where you said that if I approach even a quarter mile with a real attention to detail, I'm going to pick out a few more scrapes. I'm going to find where the, the does were running. Hey, I might even find a bed with fresh hair in it, and that might be a good indication of when they are laying down there. So that's a great way that, yeah, as educators, we can apply that back into sportsmen, that we can be able to use that same mindset. Right, and I would say, too, it's also helped me, you know, to, uh, the inverse, it's helped me back in the classroom, kind of taking that slower, methodical approach. I think it just kind of applies to all parts of my life. My poor wife, bless her heart, she'll tell you that I'm the slowest-moving person on this planet. And uh, in how I drive and how I walk through the house is how I get from point A to point B. But I feel like I've just been getting slower. At the ripe old age of 28, I feel like by the time I'm 40, I'm not going to be able to get from one side of my living room to the other in, in, in less than, in uh, greater than five minutes or whatever. So, but I feel like it's helped uh, both the classroom as well as uh, the, the the woodsman just kind of taking that time, being more analytical, more methodical, and more patient too. Uh, I think that's really helped in all aspects. Yeah, just in our mixture now, not only with our students of being patient, but with our own children of being patient and then turning around and yeah. having that same <laughs> lesson of patience being taught right back to us. I know there's times right. where I'm definitely, yeah, like you said, eating your own words, putting your foot in your mouth after you've you know, berated somebody for something, but now it's like, oh, shoot, I just went ahead and did the exact same thing. So now I got a couple other questions for you. Um, you've recently done a review on the new Phantom saddle. And the reason I bring that yeah. up is that when you did a, a DIY saddle, you had a, a sit and drag that you ended up piecing together um, with some cordage, making your own bridge, um, finding a way to um, have a, a way that you could adjust a, a Prusik with one hand. Like those were great videos, and I I need to go through those again because I was really intrigued about making, or at least trying to set set one of those up. Um, but now you're getting a chance to try out these newer models of of saddle hunting, just because it's I mean the the, the public land idea is becoming cool again, being mobile. Um, I love it that 
I mean, right now my my climber, my quote unquote mobile, is actually quite cumbersome and quite heavy. And at the same time, there's been a lot of times where I'm like, shoot, I can't sit exactly where I want because there's not a straight enough tree, or there's not a tree without uh, without limbs hanging off everywhere that I'm gonna have to basically just like bring a whole uh, chainsaw to get my way halfway up this tree that having that accessibility to areas that I normally wouldn't have access to is really becoming something for myself that I'm very interested in. Talk to me how saddle hunting for you has has changed the way you've approached uh, your normal hunting. Are you still finding your same tried and true spots, but now it sits better in the saddle? Or are you able to find those little honey holes or those spots where I need to sit in this spot and now I can make it happen. So I, first of all, stumbled across saddle hunting by sheer accident because I have two herniated discs in my back. And I'll say this for anybody that suffers with chronic back problems, give saddle hunting a try, like give it a go. Um, I have two lumbar discs that are blown out to smithereens. I do a lot of physical therapy to keep them in shape. And I wanted to try something, and, this, and the fact that it was lightweight and versatile was just an added bonus. It was just icing on the cake. Um, but this year, I, trying all the saddles versus the sit drag, I'll say this first, is that the sit drag is a totally viable option. If that is what you can afford and that's what you want to try with a rock climbing harness so you stay nice and safe, go for it. It really is a very comfortable and very qualified uh, way to, to get yourself in the tree. And I'm a big dude, you know, 240 pounds probably with all my gear loaded. So it was an excellent system. But when it came to me this year, hunting out of a saddle, you know, did I feel like I could, you know, climb Mount Everest or climb the most crooked tree? Yes. And I did on a couple of occasions. Um, but both the areas that I shot my deer out of this year were some of my tried and true areas. But I didn't do that out of a lack of motivation or a bit of laziness. Quite frankly, the first one was because it was by far the best uh, food source that I had in the area. And I just so happened to be sitting in a saddle in order to harvest that buck. And when I harvested my doe, I knew I wanted to be in an area where I was going to be seeing a lot of activity, a lot of travel, uh, the morning sit, cold snap. And uh, it, was a, it was a topographic saddle and a great pinch point. And um, it was just an extreme benefit that I was able to go into the woods with less than 20 pounds on my back or somewhere around 20 pounds, uh, three climbing sticks and, and the little platform that I was using and, and the saddle system. And it just worked out really, really well. But there was also a hunt and, and Nate and I went in to film this together. Uh, and it was over a mile, about a mile and a half. And it was not a fun walk in. Let me just put it that way. And the reason we went to go back and sit in there is because I came across a, a stand of red oak trees that I kid you not had golf ball sized acorns. I mean, these things were huge. Just and super hard apples. Before. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was just, it was insane. I took a picture of it. I'll have to send it to you when we're done with the podcast. I mean, it was just insane. And I told Nate, I was like, Nate, we got to go back into the golf ball sized acorns. And so he puts on, um, he was using a hang on system. I had the saddle, we put all this gear on and it was not a fun walk, but there's no way I would have done that with a hang on poor Nate with all the camera gear and everything with a hang on or with a climber. And, but with the saddle, 20 pounds, super mobile, super maneuverable, 
hiked all the way back in there, got up the tree, saw like two deer. All the acorns had been vacuumed up by the time we got back in there this part of the season. So it was unfortunately it was a it was a bad hunt, but I felt like it was a it was a good idea for the hunt, and I never would have tried it with a climber. I never would have tried it with a hang-on system. It was just too much weight, too much pull, particularly here in the mountains of Pennsylvania. So I feel for me with the saddle, um, I feel like it's going to change a lot of the ways that I that I view certain spots. I think I'm still going to hit a lot of um, highly productive spots for me in the past because still a lot of my productive spots are out of the way. Uh, where I shot my doe was two-thirds of a mile, all uphill. Uh, it's going on the top of a mountain in a saddle. Uh, that's two-thirds of a mile back in. Where I shot my buck um, is a is a really out-of-the-way uh, spot that's really good for about the first week, two weeks of the season. So it kind of gets overlooked. So that's a spot I'll probably keep coming back to. Um, I don't feel like I'm going to hike two miles every single time I go into the woods, but I feel better knowing that's an option and that's a possibility. And also, because it's Pennsylvania, just like you guys are in Michigan, we have straight trees, but not all of them are straight. And it's nice to be having the ability to use climbing sticks and a platform, be able to get into any tree I want. That probably was the biggest benefit, because the tree that I killed my doe out of this year, I never would have been able to get into it with a climber. There were just branches everywhere coming off that. And so I was able to make a really nice set and uh, have a really nice shot opportunity on that doe. And it just ended up being a real good time. So I, I, I think I'm going to continue to hunt a lot of the same spots, but I think the saddle is going to open up a lot more than I even right now that I really anticipate. Yeah, that's kind of the way I viewed it. And that's why I'm still very motivated in, uh, in looking at the saddle. When I first started seeing those pop out and one of the selling points was you can sit all your you know, regular spots and it's comfortable because now instead of you just got to get used to the idea instead of sitting into the tree you're sitting away from the tree but now you're fully connected all the way from the ground all the way up so there's that safety factor and that was a big key for me knowing that hey I got to be home I can't have a fall out of a tree like every time that I am getting up into one of my ladder stands or one of my hang-ons like that thought process of being like hey you got to have three points of contact because you don't want to have a mistake happen. Things do happen, and I take every precaution that I can, always wearing a harness, trying to hook in as quickly as possible, but to always be tethered in or have the lineman's rope where that if my feet slip, I'm, I'm held on by the rope there, and the tension's going to keep me from falling uh, from the tree. That's the that's the real kind of like key thing that it, that's getting me there. Um but yeah, now with more and more options coming available, um, that yeah, there's the DIY model, and I'm hoping that, you know, that's as I'm accumulating more funds. Like it was like, eh, do I get new camo this year, or do I sling for something that's going to be able to get me to go anywhere that I want to go, whether it's you know just off the field edge here at the farm, or am I taking that two mile hike into the deepest darkest swamp that I can get into to find that buck that I've been been chasing after so no i'm motivated and i'm glad to see that uh that yeah you're putting out content to make me feel comfortable about hey just get get into one try it out feel it and um having some pointers along the way so no is it's great to hear your opinions on that yeah is uh are any of the um uh the tethered teaching train tours headed up your way at all there were um, at the okay. Michigan BHA Rendezvous. Um, if okay. PA ends up having their own state rendezvous, I would definitely 
look into going to that because here at our Michigan one, it was a weekend of, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was just an awesome weekend of, yeah, seminars were going on. Um, just they had a, had a archery range, so everybody was shooting everything that they had. They had equipment demos, and yeah, the guys from Tethered and a couple other people were there. Um, one of the guys, actually, I got a chance to do a lot of talking with was um, Tim Clark. Um, he's not necessarily part of Tethered Nation, but um, he's very fluent in using those saddles. And he's got a couple younger uh, sons, and he's got a daughter as well. And he was talking about how um, that they would both go up the same tree, and ha- he would be in one saddle, and um, his kid would be in the other one. So as the kid is getting the opportunity to take a deer, he's right there looking at them being able to say like all right calm yourself down like you know just go through those steps that we've been working on you know find your anchor point make sure you're taking your deep breaths and so he's able to coach uh from the position that he's at wherever the kid is taking a shot but at the same time being able to maneuver out of the way so the kid can make the shot he can do the job but still be coached um by his mentor right there so I just think that even that setup now with I've I've got kids coming up that I can be, you know, basically yeah on their shoulder at that point and just be able to to coach them through their first experience. That's just a, a neat added thing that he was able to portray. Right, and that's that's something I never really considered. You know, Nate, my buddy Nate, who's cameraman for for each other. Uh, you know, we talked a lot. He's getting he's buying an H two saddle. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to try to film with one shooter, one camera guy in the saddle together, uh, here this upcoming fall. And we've talked a lot about that, but I, it never occurred to me that you could literally be right in somebody's hip pocket when you are in the saddle with them, uh, in particular, the father, son, father, daughter, uh, kind of situation. That would be a, a very interesting take on that. I had actually never considered that as being a possibility. So I'm glad you had that conversation with him because that would be I mean, you want to talk about being right there. Uh, you know, you're not on the other side of the tree. You're not crammed together in a ladder stand. You still have your ability to move. They still have their ability to move. But you can work through that entire shot process. And in the, in the case that you're using a firearm, uh, that young hunter has the ability to brace that firearm on the tree, uh, which I think is a huge benefit for, for younger shooters or those that want to shoot firearms out of saddle. I think that's just an incredible benefit. They just don't get out of hang-ons or for certain climbers yeah um they have got the yeah there's not a stick that has to come out away from or that you know you don't have a bar coming around you that you normally would have right. um but yeah you're actually using the tree itself um to be able to brace that up much more solid at that point and then i think even just giving the position that you're almost in a half stand anyway um rather than from a seated position i think that you're able to take that recoil a little better I mean, you know, you're getting a right. I mean, a rifle's got quite a bit of recoil as well. But I'm thinking of some of the 12 gauges here that we run in the shotgun zone. Um, if you get a a heavy slug in uh, in that gun, and it, it's a lightweight, you know, I'm running a a synthetic uh, stock. It's a plastic stock 870. Uh, that thing kicks like a mule when I put in those uh, one ounce slugs. And if if I'm not ready for it, you know, that thing's going to jump and it's going to kind of hurt a little bit. But um, being from a, a saddle like that, I think that point I could basically, I could get my weight into it rather than trying to make sure that I'm 
seated down, I can make sure that I'm I'm braced. So yeah, I like that idea too. I hadn't thought about doing firearms from the saddle. Yeah. Or you could just, you know, instead of bracing it, you could just let the recoil just kind of knock you around to orbit around the tree <laughs> while you're hanging to the saddle there. Just kind of just kind of spin you up like Wiley e. Coyote. I think that'd be a way better use of I tell you, that's a that, yeah, that's an Acme commercial waiting to happen. That's that's just a Mythbusters episode just like on steroids right there. If you have a semi-auto, you know, you just kind of keep pulling. You might get three or four times yeah. out. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. That's, that is a YouTube video that someone has to make ASAP. Oh, there better be a disclaimer on the front of that one for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Nate, this has been awesome. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say we're coming to the crescendo here of, uh, of our talk. Um, you've mentioned you've gone through a lot of venison, and I, I've already gave, uh, given yeah. you the, uh, the two-dish breakdown long ago. Um, you really had a, a good um, makeup for your, for your backstrap. Tell me something that you did with your deer this year that you tried for the first time. Actually, I should ask, did you do something with your deer this year that you tried for the first time? So one thing I tried uh, this year was um, I, I'll, I'll do a process thing and something that I, I wanted to try, but I didn't. So uh, this year, I'm a, I always like taking to work um, a little bit of venison, you know, bologna or jerky or something like that. And in the past, I've always done a ground jerky which you know you just take it put it in the gun all that sort of stuff and it's okay it just makes it easier to chew but i wanted a whole muscle kind of cowboy-esque style jerky and so i had the processor that i work with because i'm good friends with them uh i said listen this is what i want where i just want you to take it slice it i want to cure it and i want to dehydrate it and try something myself and the first batch, basically, I might as well put it on an, on ice and played hockey with it. That's how tough it was. <laughs> and so I, I that that batch that batch kind of it, it's a little chewy. So then I, I tried something else and and did it, and uh, it just the flavor was a mac. It just kind of did a simple cracked black pepper, um, and it just ended up just so nice. Uh, even in a whole muscle state, uh, still just was able to to pull apart. Um, but still had a lot of chew to it, a lot of flavor that I feel like I lost by going with ground. I don't know, maybe if it was just a head game or not. But but that was a, that was something I hadn't I hadn't done in a long time, and so I tried that again this year. But then this other thing was uh, I remember vividly watching an episode of Meat Eater where Steve Ranella does everything with ground. We always talk about how you know you have your tenderloins, your backstrap, and your roast all these he calls them little, little bars of gold, you know, stacked up in your freezer. And then you kind of just get to the end where he hid, uh, I think it's spinach or kale or something and mozzarella cheese in the center, stuffed meatloaf with a, uh, with a mustard glaze on top. And uh, so I, I went on to uh, the old web, the old intranet and uh, found a recipe for that. And holy smokes, does that change the game on your grandmother's meatloaf? Uh, that was my boy. I did straight venison. I did not cut in any uh, pork or beef into it. I did straight venison. And even still, it was just so tender and so juicy and just blew the doors off of anything that I expected coming from just straight of ground venison meatloaf. It was just such a good comfort food for here in the in the wintertime. So those are, I know they're not exciting. I know they're not like, you know, I went out and, and made au jus out of the 
uh, you know, the bone marrow or something. But but those are the two things that I got excited for this year, and, and uh, they've been super tasty. And I just keep pounding away through backstraps. I think I'm down to like half of one backstrap now uh, from both deer. So we're we're getting low on that. The tenders are long gone. Who knows where they went? And uh, I think I have one or two roads left here to to get us to spring for turkey season. Well, hey, hey, everybody wants to get super fancy, but sometimes I think we miss the stuff that you can do every day. And when you get, like, yeah, a midweek trophy, like a stuffed meatloaf like that, and be able to, then, yeah. you know, see somebody do it and then you do it for yourself. No, that's a that's a win right there. Um, as far as the whole muscle jerky, that, oh, I love it. As far as those hockey pucks, that's something I want to work at it. It's if I'm going to make whole muscle jerky, I do like it to be really chewy. I like it to be tough because I want to work at it for a while. Cause yeah, you get all the flavor from your marinade and the Venny as that suckers. Yeah. Take a while to chew it. You get all those different flavors in there. So no, that yeah. was a really good well, work pretty, on your part. I'll, 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 uh, I'll put some in a, in an envelope for you and I'll ship it to your house. And you, after you try to chew it for about two seconds, maybe you could then try to put uh, shingles on your house or something, <laughs> uh, because that's, <laughs> this stuff is just like a little bit of asphalt away from being waterproof. So, uh, but the second batch ended up much better. And I do, I like it chewy. I like, I like to get a big rip off and have a big wad in there. And you just kind of sit there in the stand and particularly when I'm hunting or, Turkey season, it's the best. You kind of sit up against a tree late morning, just got a big wad of jerky. You're just kind of relaxed and listening for that late morning gobble. And I just can't wait for that. I'm so excited for that part of the season just to enjoy venison during turkey season. Well, good deal. Good deal. Well, Nate, this has been great. Where can uh, where can my listeners continue to find you? Are you still uh, doing videos over there on YouTube? Still doing videos on YouTube. Just posted a couple here the past few weeks. You can find me at Average Jack Archery. Uh, same thing with Instagram and Facebook. And in all the all my videos, you can even find my email down in the description. I love talking with people. Always, always open for questions. Nothing is too silly. Um, nothing is too extreme. Uh, I'm always willing to try to help people as much as I can. It's a teacher in me. And um, if you ever feel like stopping by and checking out the content please feel free to do so well awesome well hey nate i'm gonna send our folks on out and you john just hold on here for a second ladies and gentlemen we've had a great evening uh here with uh with nate and i hope you've got some good content and some food for thought here uh, from our discussion so hopefully you can get outside and enjoy the sport of archery or archery hunting if you so choose and while you're at it keep your knives sharp